0: On this episode of AV Week, Integrated Systems Europe is moving from Amsterdam to Barcelona in 2021. We look at the globalization of several US integrators and human-centered design for AV integration. All that and more, next on AV Week.
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This.
0: This is Is AV Nation.
2: This is AV Nation.
0: This is AV Week. Episode 359, recorded Friday, July 13th, 2018. Cautious globalization. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by... Kramer, AV Beyond the Box. And by... Peerless AV,
2: driving technology through innovation.
0: This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to talk about the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, you know her on the Twitters as AV Dawn. She is also one of the hosts of our AV Social Show. It is Dawn Mead. Welcome, ma'am.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Tim.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and just for the record, Dawn uh, and her co-host, Kelly kicked butt this week and we uh, we just released a brand new uh, av social uh, this friday we're recording this on, right on friday but you're not going to listen to this till monday so <laughs> go back and listen to their really really excellent uh, av social this week uh also up next to the host of our residential av news program resi week and owner of omega audio video and a cdm board member his name is matt scott welcome sir
3: thank you for having me back on the flagship of our network
0: Stop it. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, Also, with us is the host of our control and automation program. And I honestly didn't plan it this way, having uh, three of our hosts. Uh, He's also the owner of Control Concepts, and his name is Steve Greenblatt. Welcome, sir.
2: Thanks for having me. Glad
0: to be here. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, first story up actually came up out of the blue uh, yesterday and reading some of the folks and some of the other um, bloggers and writers out there, it seems very much out of the blue because it, it appears as if uh, Integrated Systems Europe didn't exactly mean to announce this yesterday, but they did nonetheless uh, because a local Barcelona um, a, a Mac, um, newspaper actually posted that, that this was happening. So. What is happening? Integrated Systems Europe (ISC), the biggest, world's biggest AV show, um, is moving from Amsterdam, which they have been there for the last fourteen years um, or so, moving from Amsterdam to Barcelona, uh, starting in twenty twenty one. What that means, real quickly, the when we say the world's largest AV show, last this past uh, February, they had eighty thousand people in attendance somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 square meters, over 15 halls. Now, the place they're going to in Barcelona is uh, a place called uh, the, uh, the Ferry de Barcelona has over 400,000 square meters, over 14 halls. So obviously there is room to grow there. Um, at 80,000 people, I say that that's the biggest. It means it's the most attended um AV show in the world that gives them room to grow. Uh, I know Matt and I were at, were at the, the show this year. Steve was at the show this year. Matt and I were having dinner on the Monday before the show opened. And conversation was already happening um, at, during our dinner about, you know, you speculation about where the show was going, if it was going anywhere. And in, in, we did an interview with, with uh, Dave Labuska, <laughs> CEO of Avixa, and he said, you know, on, on the record and, and on our recording, We're actively um, trying to work with with the Rye and look at different uh, avenues and different roads to take. Um, Talking with a number of other folks at ISC, they were working with the Rye and trying to figure out how they could expand the space. Obviously, you know, some things happened or some things didn't happen, honestly, and and the the Rye probably just came to the conclusion that, you know, there's just only so much land around the Rye if you've ever been there. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you on this. As far as you know, what this means not only to ISE, obviously you know, moving moving operations because they do have a team in in Amsterdam, they'll have to move those out in in a couple of years. But how will this impact ISE's position as the first stop, the first um, place in the year for manufacturers? Because it has become um, the first place where people you know. Release product, and it, it they've they've kind of changed their manufacturing cycle and changed their design cycle to where ISE is is one of the first places that they're going to start announcing products with over a hundred announcements last year.
3: Well, I think if there was any question that it is the go to place to announce your your newest product, uh, your flagship product, that that question is now gone. The fact that they are now in or going into a larger convention space a area where they can continue to expand. Every manufacturer can grow their booth uh, or their stand as maybe not as much as they want, but there's, there's opportunities that there was not uh, that, that weren't there with the rye. And the fact that this, the show is going to continue to expand, continue to grow. And I would be, I would be shocked with if we don't within a, you know, a couple of years see the show, Reach over a hundred thousand people. We are going, I I don't see adding 20,000 more being that difficult when you look at what uh, Stia is doing uh, with their expo uh, in a with with Emerald as well um, as well as what uh, Infocomps doing as far as adding more end users more designers more architects more uh, tertiary partners if you will We're going to see that in Europe. We're going to see that continue to grow and the fact that there is now more space and you can add more people because all you had to do was walk into, what was it, hall 15, the parking lot hall? The new hall, yes. Yep. Walk into that in the parking lot and see how many big players were stuffed in a parking lot tent. Tesla. Yeah. And know that they're coming for, you know, they, they want to continue to grow and continue to expand. And all you have to do is continue to add more vendors. You'll add more people. It's, it's going to be the place where everything is, uh, maybe not everything, but the majority of flagship products
0: are, are debuted. Steve, I want to bring you in on this because you, I mentioned the fact that you were there last year as a part of uh, Avix's you know, search leadership committee and, and you know, on your own as well as, as you know, Control Concepts. Getting to Amsterdam and this logistic. This is more of a logistic questions and what this is going to do to the North American attendance. Getting to Amsterdam was relatively easy from from North America, both Canada and, and the U.S. And I want to say there was twenty to twenty five percent attendance at ISE last year from North America. How big of an impact do you think this will be? Moving it from Amsterdam to Barcelona on that on that um, percentage of, of of North American attendance.
2: Uh, I think that it, you know the I, I I'm not that familiar with the travel logistics of, of getting to Barcelona versus Amsterdam, but I think that they're both a commitment you know and and it you know' a time commitment there's a cost commitment there it you're, you're traveling and and considering to of uh, budgeting probably a day each way so um the the, the fact is is that it is you know it, it's a cost benefit uh, type type of situation the the value that you get out of going to the show. And as more people go, more people are going to spread that word. And there's going to be, I think more attention drawn to the show. I mean, I'm excited that it's going to be in another city because it gives me another opportunity to, to travel to a place that I haven't been before. And, and it's also uh, a little bit more interesting than going to Las Vegas or Orlando. So uh, not, not to take anything away from that, but um, I, I think that we, we, you know, the, the the more people that, that are going and the more attention that's drawn to it, I think people are just going to have to go. I mean, it's it's kind of like North American um, focuses on Infocom. I think that the world focus is becoming a, a part of what ISE is all about. And and it is a very different show. I mean, I, I, I felt it was a very different experience than what I experienced at Infocom. And, and uh, I, I think it, it, the time of year is better. And I think that the... The, the conversations that you have, the style that of the show is is, is more intriguing. Uh, I think think that it, it is um, it, it's, it's very very good for business, in, in, at least in my experience, and I plan on continuing to to go and make that a part of my schedule.
0: Right, Don, this is you have not been to ISE, so I want to preface this next question um, before I say this. However, you have transitioned from being an integrator, which you were you had been an integrator for many many years and you are now an end user. Uh, and several conversations actually came out of, of Infocom this year, the, the, the percentage I heard was, was 40 or 43% of attendees at Infocom, which again, they, they, you know, well, um, over 40,000 were end users. ISE is a similar percentage as well. Is a move like this to a different city, you know, and some of the changes that, that ISE has made does that make you maybe want to go to an event like this or, you know, as, the, as they're you know, transitioning cities and transitioning some of the programs that they have, that, like Steve mentioned, to cater to the end users? Does that make it, make it more interesting maybe um, to end users and, and make it more accessible? And the second part of that question is what else do they have to do to make sure that, you know, not just the numbers, but the show itself is is quality enough to make sure that both integrators and those that are decision makers want to attend their show.
1: Well, um, I, you know, as you said, I haven't been to ISE before. I've wanted to go for years and never worked for a company, an integrator large enough or um, geographically diverse enough to justify going to a show in Europe, um, you know, working for a regional integrator, going somewhere outside of your region in the U.S. is a big deal. Um, Now I'm working for an end user, but I'm also working for a multinational company. And it's much larger. We have presence all around the world. And so we have offices in Europe. We have offices in the Middle East. We have offices in Asia. You know, I mean, literally everywhere. So it's more likely for a company of this size and type to send someone to a European show in addition to or instead of a local show. Now, I... I do think, though, it's interesting that ISE has really become the place to kick off the brand new shiny products. And more and more, we have these mega integrators who work nationally or internationally, and they want to go and see the new stuff while it's new. I would almost venture a guess that as things evolve, other than end users in Europe are geographically conducive to going to ISE. I wouldn't be surprised if ISE became the show for integrators to attend and Infocom more focused on the end users and Mm. the the technology managers, because a lot, like I said, a lot of geographically challenged smaller or, or regional companies, universities, whatever, they can justify going to Orlando, they can justify going to Vegas, but they can't justify flying someone to Amsterdam or Barcelona for that matter. So I I think it may evolve that way. And then the question becomes, what's going to happen to that small integrator, that mom and pop boutique size integrator, the ones like that I used to work for. And probably the same thing that's happening right now, they're either going to close or they're going to get bought by one of the big guys, which is, you know, I mean, how many shows in the past year and a half, two years have we talked about that? trend. So um, it's an interesting question. I would love the opportunity, if any of my bosses are watching, to go to ISE, whether it's in Spain or, uh, you know, Amsterdam. But either way, I, 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 I see that it may diverge between the integrators, manufacturers doing the premier, look at the cool new tech, wow factor, and then From February to June, having time to develop those business cases, those use cases, those scenarios, the marketing part of it, that they can then say, okay, end users and technology managers, here's your shot at looking at the new stuff, and here's why it's relevant to you. And I think that might be an interesting interesting take if it evolves that way.
0: Well, actually that segues right really nicely right into our ne- our next story which is about a, a large integrator in the, in the u.s getting bigger uh, from aV magazine diversified is purchasing digitavia in or digitavia in Dubai uh, quote unquote from the article diversified CEO Fred D- uh, D'Alessandro said quote unquote we are thrilled by the tremendous opportunity for growth in the region meaning the the, the uh, um, Middle Eastern region uh, Dawn, I actually want to come back to you on this. Don works for a multinational uh, corporation. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but what sort of advantage does this give diversified and, and actually other U.S. based integrators as they're starting to grow out and, and get bigger and be honest, kind of grow alongside or meet other multinational corporations where they are in in their you know worldwide offices?
1: I think it has. It's a double edged blade. I think it has some really great advantages for the larger integrators that can afford and have the ability to do moves like this because you do develop a relationship when you do a job, when you do a project with your end user. And if an end user loves your company, but you're a mom and pop, you can't fly to Dubai from, you know, Owings Mills, Maryland, you know, in the suburbs to do a massive project. But if you're working with a company that you love and they have offices in the Middle East or Asia or wherever, then it makes it easier to stick with that trusted voice, that trusted partner for your technology needs. And I think that would be a great benefit to these companies. So, you know, if you're not already, you know, beyond the borders of the U.S., consider it. But, and I will warn you this way, there is the double-edged sword of it in that if you screw up a job, and there are one or two companies on the top 10, according to whichever magazine it is that ranks them every year from based on size. Um, there are a couple of those companies that the, the, the company that I joined won't do business with because they've, it might only be a branch office and it might be an anomaly, but if they messed something up and you get on the bad side of that procurement person, you get on the bad side of that decision maker within the AV department it's not gonna go well for you and that reputation will travel with you. You know, your branch up branch A up here might screw something up when branch C is bidding on a job in a totally different part of the company or different part of the world or even a different part of the US, they're gonna have that bad history with the company and, and, and we're inclined not to use you again. So I think that it's a world of opportunity for these larger integrators that have an opportunity to spread beyond our borders. But do it cautiously and make sure every branch and every employee is up to snuff because just as easily as you can benefit wildly from this, you can totally shoot yourself in the foot.
0: Well, Matt, that actually brings me to my, my next question is, is for you. And off of what Don said about, you know, making sure that each office lives up to your standard, right? So that mm-hmm. so they don't ruin it for, you know, ruin it for the other offices. What other drawbacks are there for these, these, manufa- these integrators, that are growing so globally, what are some of the other drawbacks?
3: Well, I think one of the bigger as I, I don't even know if it's a drawback, um, but one of the big things that I, I wonder about is how often do you use, not to totally derail your question, but how often does a, a client use that local office just because it's the local office? Not to say that they can't do a good job, kind of to Don's point, but they're there so you're gonna use them rather than somebody that you trust who's not local. As far as drawbacks for local offices, it's it's maintaining that experience no matter where you go. When you walk into any sort of Apple store, they have that experience lined up so that you, it, it doesn't matter where you go, the Apple store experience is the same. When you walk into a top tier Marriott hotel, that experience is the same no matter where that hotel is located when you start talking about you know global av companies that is the biggest thing that they need to try and maintain is figure out what that corporate culture is what that corporate identity is and ensure that across the brand it is the same because i'd hate to see a large company get burned because they've got one guy or one girl in an office somewhere who's an idiot and it burns an entire brand for a multinational company because that does happen. Don's example was not, you know, just an off the cuff. Oh, this could happen. It happens all the time.
1: Don's example may or may not be exactly true from where she is working now.
3: <laughs> Quote, <Man>. unquote, possibly <laughs> off the record. Exactly. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, that,
3: that's the biggest concern is making sure that you can maintain your brand in every office. And that's a, that is a tough challenge. That's a really tough ask because our companies, even big companies like Diversified, we're still tiny compared to all of these other global companies who have branding officers and branding departments and experience departments that make sure that their clients' experiences are consistent across the board.
0: All right, Mr. Greenblatt, you'll have the last word on this. How many more of these are we going to see? I mean, we mentioned diversified uh, is is expanding out in, into Dubai. Uh, uh, Avi Spl has as well. Uh, HP Communications, Varex has Varex has uh, a number of global offices. How many more of these are we going to see?
2: Um, I so I think that it. I mean, it's driven by what what customers are looking for. I think, as well as being able to to also, I, I'm I honestly think that there's also a value in in, in acquiring talent. So it may it may be in addition to location, is acquiring certain talent. And this this industry is very starved for talent. So I think where, where the talent is, there there likely be acquisitions and and uh, and, and 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 I. Think what, what we're seeing as being a trend is that there there's more and more consolidation in 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 the industry both on the the integration side on the manufacturing side and uh, you know but but they they all present challenges quite honestly as we've discussed and I, I think you know, you know it, it, there's uh, the challenges of being able to merge companies that that may work differently there's the challenges of of having to 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 really work uh, and and handle things things to such massive scale. I mean, AV is tough to scale. So um, I, I, although I, I think that this is kind of the nature of where business is going, I'm not necessarily sure that it's the great thing for the industry.
0: You don't think that the globalization of integrators is a great thing for the industry? It,
2: it, I think, I think it presents a lot of challenges. It, it may be needed, and it may be what the clients are looking for, but but I don't necessarily know that it's necessarily improving the product, as we've discussed.
0: All right, very good. Uh, all right, guys. Last story here comes to us from commercial integrator. Uh, measuring your AV design skills. Adam Forziati. Uh, Adam writes uh, about creating an AV system design guide, and his quotes uh, Rebecca DeStallo uh, from the Avixa Tide Conference in Vegas uh, this past June, and lays out kind of a system, a program for you know, creating a design uh, process. Number one is your research. Number two, you ideate, uh, creating ideas. Number three, prototype. Number four, evaluate. And number five, launch. Uh, Steve, I want to start with you on this. When it comes to designing AV skills or designing, honestly, modules and and, and programming, what, if any, what, if any uh, steps did did Adam uh, miss along the way here?
2: Hmm. Well, uh, I think you. I, I, I mean, I love the idea. <laughs> what I think the miss is that we're not doing it. <laughs> you know, oh, okay. I, and I uh, and and I think especially on the, on the, the software side. You know, I, uh, one of the things that that is real important and and where I think that we're we're missing the boat is that we we look at the functionality of the system as the the last thing that needs to be done and needs to be done in crunch time, or we need to find a programmer rather than saying, "Hey, let's make this." let's figure out what we want this thing to do and then let's design the system to, to support it. Um, I, I, I I'm doing some work now with, with Avixa on uh, the user experience standard. And, and this, this is what this is all about. I mean, I, I, the, this article is gold. <laughs> it's, and this is the way we should be doing stuff and, 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 and software development needs to be thought of a, as, a, as the critical part of a project rather than the afterthought. And and, and I think that we, we can learn a lot from even looking at how typical software products are being developed and, and uh, approached. So, I mean, I, I, I love this idea. We, I think that we, we should be promoting this to everybody.
0: Right. Don, from an end user standpoint, how can you or other end users lead their integrators uh to you to use a design standard how can you help them along the way and say this is something that we'd like to see
1: well first of all just to, to correct you slightly it isn't the article isn't just talking about a design standard it's talking about a human centered yes design. i'm
0: sorry you're right human centered. and
1: design. that's the key vital words and and steve you know used the words it's about the experience you know it 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 It's not just about making the shiniest, coolest thing. It's about making something functional, usable, and that provides value. And so as an end user, I'm going to, you know, especially as an end user that's somewhat educated in our field, I'm going to go to an integrator that comes in and starts talking about the latest shiny boxes and say, that's cool, that's awesome. I saw it at Infocom too, or ISE. But here's what I need to have happen in this room. Here's what my internal end users want to use this room for. Let's not talk about boxes. Let's talk about how we're going to make that happen. Because, uh, you know, other than at the Infocom show or your specific manufacturer, nobody cares about your boxes. Nobody cares. And, and, and that really Really hurts and is painful to some of the people in our industry who love their boxes They love their gray boxes a few years back one of the manufacturers even made a t-shirt about the new gray of their box, you know, but (laughs) it's a case of We don't care We just want it to work. It works on Star Trek. It works on Star Wars It even works on the boardrooms on the contemporary TV shows, you know And it works in some of the boardrooms we visited. So why can't it work in my boardroom? That's what people care about Uh, not not to be a shameless self plug, but in the latest SCN, I wrote a whole article about defining experience, what experience means. And it's not the ooh shiny, it can be, that's part of it. But the more important experience is my CEO, my president, my vice presidents walking into a boardroom or a conference room or a video room, sitting down and A, having a consistent experience from room to room and B, having equipment that just works because it's not about our equipment. It's about the message they're getting out to their constituency or to their engineers or to their partners. They don't care about our boxes. They want things that work and that work well. And so as an as an end user, you know, I, I'm an AV geek. You know, I like boxes too. But I'm gonna say, I don't need that. I don't want that. I need something that's gonna work and be reliable.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Matt, last word on this, uh, from an integrator standpoint, what can, can integrators do to ingrain this and, and put this as a standard in their engineering department, whether it, you know, human centered design, creating design standards and getting that as a standard operating procedure for their engineers.
3: Um, get out of your own way because you know, I was, I was in her session that Adam's talking about Yeah, and, we tweeted a couple of things out from it and I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people that are fairly loud within our industry about how we're already doing this and we already know this. We you've been talking about it for years, but we're already doing it and I'm here to tell you you're not because we are all caught up on what Don was talking about, about our boxes and our interfaces and all this other stuff and people don't care. The best thing I ever learned in programming, not mattering whether it was residential or commercial, is I would give it to my mother. If my mother could not look at it without any instruction from me and figure out how to turn on a TV or turn on and connect to the click share, if she couldn't figure it out, no one else had a chance. If we have to give instructions and everything else for all of our human-centered design, we've still lost it. Yeah. We need to understand that we come into all of these conversations and all of this debate with knowledge of how these systems mm-hmm. work. And because we have that knowledge, a lot of stuff just makes sense to us, even though our clients don't understand it. Right. So when you look at the human-centered design and, and the standards for that, it's going to take a lot of time for us to realize that. Our clients, our, our end users, they do not understand this stuff. And that's not a, that's not a, a negative on them. It's not an, an insult to them. They just don't think about it the way we do. You look at the residential side and you would be shocked how many people don't understand how to change an input on a TV. Yet we think that they can look at a touchscreen in a boardroom that's different than half the other boardrooms because one's a huddle room and the other one's an exec video conference room and they're going to know what to do, they're not. Until we get these standards in place and then everyone actually uses them, it won't matter and we'll keep talking about this and they'll keep doing events like Tide and every other event and people will get up and tell us to stop being stupid, get out of your own way, sell more stuff, if people know how to use it and can do it easily, then we'll still get blasted on social media and everything else about how, oh, we're already doing this. NIT will still come in and take all of our lunch. No.
1: Can I get an Amen? Yeah.
3: Bam. <laughs> Reach. Bam. <laughs> I don't drop mics because, well, I know better. <laughs> no, I, I know better. Um, but I would drop something. Yeah. All right. Send Have me a... hate mail.
0: <laughs> That's Matt at ABNation.tv. All right, on on that lovely. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go ahead and call it You're a day, guys. Okay? Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Dawn Mead. How do people find you if they are so inclined?
1: Well, you can always find me on social media as at Av Dawn or Dawn Mead. I work for a large defense contractor now, which I'll remain nameless on this show. So you won't find me on their website, but uh, you probably heard of them. Um, And you can, of course, find me here on avnation.tv. Check out the AV social show and uh, check out SDN because I write for them sometimes now too, talking about this very thing. So go look it up.
0: Very good. Uh, Also with us has been Mr. Steve Greenblatt. Thank you, sir. Thank you or uh, Control Concepts. I'm um, social media at
2: Steve Greenblatt, controlconcepts.net, and of course, a state of control. Check us out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Mr. Scott, thank you, sir. Thank you for
3: having me. I hope I'll get back after that tirade.
0: Another two or three years, yes.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you can find me at Matty Scott on Twitter and every other social platform. Uh, I also host Resi Week here. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for CDS. So you can find me there as well. And uh, yeah, I'm around.
0: All right, very good. Uh, don't follow me on the on the, uh, Twitters, but go by the website, if you would, please, avianation.tv. avianation.tv, Uh Lots of really great people have done an awful lot of hard work on it, so uh, check that out. Uh, also, with us, Steve mentioned the state of control. Our next webinar happens July 24th, talking about user experience and, and uh, uh, control and automation and how that can be uh, adjusted dy- dynamically uh, through data. So Steve's going to be on it and actually a couple of his uh, regular folks as well. Dave Hatz from ABI <laughs> Systems and David Barnett from the Sexton Group. So you can register for that on the website as well. Also, while you're there, check out our underwriters. Uh, these are the folks who help us financially and support us. Help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week. And in about two months' time, they'll help us uh, bring you Cedia uh, as well from uh, from uh, San Diego, California. So all that and more at avianation.tv. Avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <music>